Jesus is the light of the world. And we said that there's four books in the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they contain the story, the elements of Jesus' life. Matthew and Luke are where you find the Christmas story. We're going to read those uh, accounts today. Um, But in... uh, in Mark, Mark doesn't actually start with the birth of Jesus. Mark starts with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. He jumps into Jesus' ministry when he's 30 years old. John starts at the beginning, not of Jesus' life. He actually goes back further, the very beginning, the beginning of time. And I didn't put this on your on the, the screen, but the very first verse in John chapter 1 says, In the beginning, in the beginning of time. Uh, there was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and everything that was created came through the word. And in a minute, we're going to see very clearly that the word is Jesus Christ. You have to understand that John's purpose in writing was very different than the others. John wasn't so concerned with what Jesus did. He was concerned with why did Jesus come? Why did he do the things that he did? And so he wants you to understand why Jesus came. He tells us, um, in several verses, but we're going to look at John one nine right now. The true light, that's Jesus Christ, that gives light to everyone is coming to the world. What John is saying, the why, the reason the light had to come is because before Jesus, people didn't understand some things. When Jesus, the light came into the world, that meant that Christ followers could understand things that we didn't understand before. We would have insight into places we'd never seen before. There would be light in, in dark areas. So in the Old Testament, there were things that Jesus fulfilled and he, he explained to us, we would never have known that if he hadn't brought the light. And so we learn things about ourselves when Jesus, the the light comes into the world. We learned that, that we have hidden sins. We have hidden thoughts. And, and Jesus said, those thoughts even are sinful. And, and then if you listen, if you think those thoughts too often, you will eventually commit sins. We learned that from Jesus, the light of the world, we learned that the two most important things, first of all, he was asked, Jesus was asked, what is the most important command? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then without even being asked, he said, here's the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. So the light of the world taught us, no one knew this before, that the number one thing is to love God. The number two thing is to love people. You love God, love people, then you're doing Doing well in the Christian life. Now, not only did, did John want you to know that the light came, he wanted you to know that the light was personal. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, and it, and it's almost like John stops right here and he's pondering, what does it mean to receive the light? And so then he's going to take two Greek words or two words, Hebrew words that had never been combined before. And he's going to combine these two words and he's going to coin a new phrase. He's going to take the word for faith and he's going to take the word for in. He's going to put them together. Never been done before. Here's what he says. Yet to all who did receive him, how do you receive him? Here it is. To those who believed in, those are your two words that he's combining, never been combined before. He said, it's not enough to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. He said, you must believe in, you must do something that demonstrates it's more than, than believing up here. It's doing actions that prove that you follow the light of the world. He's saying, um, that, that those who put their trust in, who demonstrate their faith in Jesus Christ, he, God gave the right to become children of God. How many of you have children? How many of you have grandchildren? So, okay. Every time your child does something good or bad, you take it personally, don't you? If they do something good, yeah, that's my kid. They do something bad. That's your kid. You say to your spouse or, you know, to the other parent, right? Um, it, it, we take it personally. So, so John is saying that the light came because he wanted to be a light for you. He wants to come and, and rescue you. Then the, the last of it says, children born of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, in case there's any question who the light, who the word was, look at verse 14. 
the word became flesh. Who's the only one that we know of that was with God who became flesh? Jesus Christ. And made his dwelling. This made his dwelling means he pitched a tent. He camped out with us. But it was a temporary tent, right? And so when he was done, he, he got a new body. He went to heaven. He's going to come back another time. So it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. Among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. There's no doubt that this was Jesus Christ. So this whole idea of the light coming into the world was very personal to God. And if you wanted to know the why, why the light came, seems to me that John would be the best guy to ask because John described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was very, very close to Jesus. When he stood at the cross watching Jesus die, Jesus looks down to John. He says, John, behold your mother and points at Mary, um, Jesus' mother. And then he says to, to Mary, Behold your son. This was very, very personal. He took Mary into his home, cared for her until she died. This was a very personal thing. And he would know why the light came. And he said, the light came. God sent Jesus to rescue his children. He wanted a family, a spiritual family. And so he sent him to rescue. And then in case you don't get it, at the end of John, he summarizes the book in in John 20, 31. He says this, but these are written. I told you a couple of weeks ago, John has seven signs that point to Jesus being the Messiah, the son of God. He said, these aren't all the things that Jesus did, but these seven, here's what he says, but these are written, these seven, that who may believe, that who may believe, that Doug may believe, that, that Chad may believe, that Jeff may believe, that Mark may believe. It is personal that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing who may have life. You, Doug, Jeff, Chad, whoever believes may have life in his name. See, Christmas is about Jesus coming so that we can have a personal relationship with God. It's more than God so loved the world. Yes, God loved the world, but he loved the who's of the world. He loved the you's of the world. Jesus came to be your personal savior. The idea of a personal savior was a foreign concept to the Israelites. See, all in the Old Testament, God was a national savior. And so they, they were expecting him to be a national savior, a political savior. For three years, his followers were going, when is he going to rescue us from Israel? But they were, in, they were wanting him to do something that he had never intended to do. He didn't come just to rescue Israel. He came to rescue the world. They completely missed his agenda. And you and I miss his agenda too. Whenever we try to put Jesus in a box... Or whenever we try to get God to help us build our kingdom. God is not interested in building your kingdom. God's interested in building his kingdom. He's interested in you helping build his kingdom. See, Jesus' agenda is bigger than our kingdom. If you can do something in your power, God's not required, which means God's not honored because God says he, he, he only wants people who have faith. It is impossible to please God without faith is what Hebrews 11, sex, uh, six says, sex, <laughs> dude, that's a different book. that is, yeah, that's song of Solomon, um, <laughs> dude, that's not a yeah, not, no, no. All right. Moving right along. Now, when, when Luke wrote his gospel, we're going to read Luke and Matthew's account of the birth. When Luke wrote his gospel, he didn't say once upon a time, he didn't say in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, that worked this weekend, right? That didn't even plan it that way, but it worked. He said, the things that I have investigated, he said, I went around and talked to eyewitnesses and I've written down what the eyewitnesses said. Here's what he says about the birth of Jesus, starting in Luke 1, verse 26. 
in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, by the way, I want you to see how many details are in these two verses. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. How many details are in that sentence? Bunch. You want to know why? Luke was a physician. He was very meticulous. He was saying, if you don't believe me, check out with Elizabeth. She was six months pregnant whenever Jesus was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Or you can go to this town in Nazareth. You can talk to Joseph, who's a descendant of David. He was engaged to a, name, a, a young virgin named Mary. You can check out all the details. He wanted you to know details. Verse 28. The angel went to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now, the angel did not say Jesus to her. She didn't hear that term, Jesus. The, the, what the angel would have said to her would have been Hebrew, Aramaic. It would have been Joshua or Yeshua. What, what we get as Jesus, that's, that's the Greek or the Latin combination of the word. And so when it's written here, we see Jesus. She didn't hear Jesus. She heard Joshua or Yeshua. That's going to be big here in a second. You're to name him after the Old Testament hero, Joshua. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will what? Never end. This was not an earthly kingdom. This was a spiritual kingdom, another dimension. And if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard something about this kingdom, the kingdom of God. The idea of a king and the kingdom started with Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And when he came, he ushered in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was to be a king of a kingdom that never ends. Jesus himself said, my, my kingdom is not of this world. He wasn't talking about um, being an earthly king, what the Israelites were looking for. He, that wasn't his agenda. He came to be a spiritual forever king and reign on the throne of, of David. And we looked at Herod last week. When Herod heard that a new king had been born, that's why he was troubled, because he was all worried about his own legacy, which fell apart. We, we saw all that last week. And we learned that, that Jesus is the one who lives forever now and is a king forever. Now, we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah. You need to understand, Matthew was writing to Jewish people. Matthew's whole purpose was to prove that he was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God. He wrote down all of his, um, all of the genealogy in, in Matthew chapter 1, traces him back to uh, David so that you can see that, that, yes, he's the legitimate king to the throne of David. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found. She was found out. That was a bad day to be pregnant in that society before you come together in, in marriage was a very bad. In fact, it carried the death penalty. She could have been executed for getting pregnant outside of wedlock because we know, we know looking back, we see the story. We know that that, that child was not Joseph's. It was a very big deal to be betrothed. That's what it meant to be engaged. The, the child didn't belong to Joseph. She could have died the day she found out she was pregnant. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's see how Joseph reacts. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
This was a legal contract. Being betrothed was a legal contract. And, and he must have respected her because he didn't want to cause her any public disgrace. But he did want to break up with her. And it wasn't like we have, you know, relationships where you break up. Give me, I, I need my letterman jacket back. This was a legal document. He had to go to the priest. He had to write this up and he wanted to do it quietly. Um, how many of y'all remember this is going to date? So there weren't a whole lot of older people in the early service. Um, how many of you remember ID bracelets? Okay. Um, I'm not saying you're older if you remember that, but, but some of you are, uh, whenever I, I cleaned out my mom and dad's house after they passed away, I found two or three ID bracelets and, and you know what you would do. This was before you had a letterman jacket. All right. This was, this was junior high, maybe freshman year. If you didn't have a letterman jacket to give away, by the way, I never gave out my letterman jacket. I was proud of that thing. I'm not, I'm wearing, you get your own coat. Um, but I might have in junior high, I did have some, some ID bracelets cause I found them. And so if you had a girl, you'd have your name put on it and you'd, you'd give her the ID bracelet. And if she was proud of you, you know, she would wear it. And then if you were really uh, cheesy, she would get you one and you'd wear her name on your wrist, you know. That's not what we're talking about here. He wanted, he had to divorce her. It was, it was, it was a document that had to be signed and approved, but he wanted to do it quietly. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, Joseph had considered this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid to take her home, even though people are talking. Even though people are assuming you have broken your vows, that you've done a shameful thing, that you have impregnated her before your marriage. The angel says, don't be afraid to take her home. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know the people in, the, in, the, in that community were like, Holy Spirit. Yeah, y'all, y'all were messing around. You were doing a shameful thing in the nation of Israel, in the country of Israel. Now look at the next verse. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now is Jesus what he heard? What would he have heard? Joshua or Yeshua? There's that name again. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Joshua because. And, and Joseph probably, you know, in my mind I see Joseph going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have to tell me the because. If, if the son that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and I'm supposed to name him Joshua after the Old Testament hero, it's because he's a big deal and he's going to save somebody. Otherwise, we wouldn't be naming him Joshua. And the angelic being's like, not done yet. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. Joseph jumps in. I know. We all know he's the Messiah. He'll, he'll come in the spirit of Joshua, but he's going to be like Moses. He's going to have the mind of Moses. He's going to be a military leader like Joshua. And just like Joshua liberated the, the promised land, he, God is this, this Messiah is going to liberate the children of Israel. We're going to whoop Rome and we're going to be number one again. Mr. Angelic being says, not done yet. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I imagine Joseph was very confused. We already have a system to save us from our sins. In, in Nazareth, he was about 70 miles from Jerusalem, 70 to 80 miles. Hey, Mr. Angelic being, we, we go once or twice a year and we sacrifice at the temple to cover us from our sins. We have the day of atonement. Israel doesn't need to be saved from their sins. Now, Rome, they're sinners. And really, you want to know my agenda? We need to be saved from Rome. That's what the Messiah is going to do, save us from Rome. The Israelites' agenda 
had nothing to do with salvation from sin. It was all about salvation from Rome. But that wasn't God's agenda. The angel clearly said, save his people from their sins. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Because when an angel shows up, you do what the angel says. Last week we read that that the angel said, get up, take the child to Egypt. And he got up and took the child to Egypt. And then there was another time the angel shows up and says, get up, take the the child back to Israel. That's what you do when an angel shows up. Now, jumping over to Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus, remember him? We talked about him last week. The very first emperor of Rome. Rome was a republic. They never intended to have an emperor. They never intended to have a king. But here we are with Caesar Augustus, the emperor of, of Rome. He issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, I love the timing. God is a God of timing. God is a God of details. At the time in history, Galatians 4, 4 tells us that that at just the right time, God sent Jesus into the world. It wasn't haphazard. He didn't just close his eyes and, and you know, point to a date at just the right time. When, when Rome had their first king, the real king, whose kingdom would never end, was going to be born. Now, think about the details. Where is Joseph living? Nazareth. How far is Nazareth from Bethlehem? Actually, about 75 to 80 miles, because we know that it's 70 miles or so to Jerusalem, and then Bethlehem's five miles south of that. Mary is less than 10 days from giving birth to a baby. Mamas, if you're 10 days within the birth of your baby, do you want to go on a long trip? This would have taken five to eight days. If you're great pregnant in your ninth month of pregnancy, do you want to go five to eight hours on a trip? No, I don't think you want to go five to eight hours, much less five to eight days. So look what happens. Well, what do you do? What do you do if, if, if they're 70 miles, 75 miles away? God knows the prophecy. I think God whispers in Caesar Augustus' ear. I think you should count your people. And Caesar Augustus goes, I think I should count my people. And his people go, how are you going to do that? Great idea. How are you going to do that? God whispers in his ear, tell everyone to go to their hometown to register. And Caesar goes, I'm going to tell everyone to go to their hometown and register. And everybody goes, that's a great idea. God used the most powerful man on the planet to get Jesus where he needed to be to fulfill prophecy. And Caesar never even knew it. It did make him a footnote in the story, though. Just like Herod was a footnote we talked about last week. It made him a footnote. Everybody obeys. They go to their hometown. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, in all of the Bible stories or little videos that you've seen, um, what is Mary riding on when she goes from Nazareth to Bethlehem? A donkey. Where do we find that in Scripture? You do not find that in Scripture. It's made up. She may have walked, she may have ridden, we don't know, but we know it would have taken five to eight days. Now, if you are told in your ninth month of pregnancy that you have to go five to eight days, ladies, are you going to be murmuring? Are you going to be complaining? Are you going to say, who does that Caesar Augustus think he is? You wouldn't say it out loud because you could die. But you're going to say it to Jewish people, Caesar Augustus. And somebody's going to say, forget Caesar Augustus. Why did God let this happen to me? 
Why did God let, I'm carrying his son. Why God, that's called, that's why they call it whining. Because why, why me, why? It's human nature to whine. And I don't know what you're whining about, but because it's human nature, I figure you're whining about something. And I'm giving you permission to tell me when I whine. And you better believe I'm going to tell you after this sermon when you whine. That God's, God always has a bigger picture than your life. Oh God, why? In this instance, it was to fulfill prophecy. You never know what God is doing. But Jesus said, my father's always at work. Always at work means always, regardless of whether you know why. God doesn't have to tell you why, because he's God. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Why shepherds? Why not plumbers? And there were plumbers cleaning their lines at night. Why not lawyers? Because well, lawyers wouldn't have been working on Christmas Eve. That's why. Thank you for participating. He didn't know that was coming. I actually wrote this in here hoping you would be there. Thank you. Shepherds. They were the lowest of the low. You want to know why? They were always unclean. They couldn't go into the temple because they were unclean. Because when you're taking care of animals, you're walking around, you step in stuff, you're unclean. And so they didn't go to worship because when do you take a day off if you're a shepherd? So the religious people looked down on them. They knew they were outcasts, the shepherds did. And I want you to see what happens. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were what? Terrified. When God shows up, when angelic beings show up, people are terrified. Study the Bible. Look it up. In the Old Testament, there was a time when God comes to the to Mount Sinai and it says that thunder and lightning and was shaking the mountain. And the people of Israel went to Moses and they said, do not let us talk to God. We will die. You talk to God. <laughs> you go, Moses, because he's scary. Every time an angelic being showed up, they were terrified. They would fall down as dead men. Even in the New Testament, when when. When Paul, who was Saul, when he saw Jesus, he was blinded for a few days. He was terrified in the people around him. Even when the angel showed up to John on the island of Patmos to give him the revelation, the last book of the Bible, it says that John was scared to death. He's terrified. Every time God shows up, people are terrified. So when someone says, the Lord appeared to me, I'm very skeptical. Were you terrified? Nope. Wasn't Jesus? Because when Jesus shows up, people are scared. If whoever showed up to talk to you didn't start out with do not be afraid, it wasn't God. And it wasn't one of his messengers. 365 times in the Bible, we're told do not be afraid. One for every day of the year. When God shows up, people are, people are scared. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to whom? 
Who, who was he saying it to? Who was the angel saying it to? Shepherds, the lowest of the low, the outcasts, the unclean, the irreligious. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. I don't have time to, to give you all of this today, but, but Wednesday night in our church service, I'm going to go into why this would be a sign to them. And, and I was blown away. I read this in a devotional um, about a year ago. I bought the book because I was so impressed with this. And then when we were in Israel, we talked to the guide and we talked to, went to Bethlehem and we found out why this would be such a big sign. I, I, there's a little teaser. <laughs> Come Wednesday and I'll tell you about it. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those who, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has what happened, which the Lord has told us about. Don't stone me until you, until I explain this. I'm not a Christ follower and neither are you. Because of what's written in the Bible. Hold on. Some of you are picking up rocks. I'm a Christ follower because something happened over 2,000 years ago when the light came into the world. Let me explain. At the time that Jesus was born, the only people who were written about were emperors, military people, they would pay folks to write about them so there would be a record of their conquests. If, if it didn't pertain to the movers and shakers of the day, nobody cared. Here's the remarkable thing about Jesus. We have four accounts of his life written about this carpenter from Nazareth. And Nazareth, to be a Nazarene, that's what it was. If you were from Nazareth, you were a Nazarene. Nazareth was the armpit of Israel. I'm going to tell you how we know that. Um, whenever Jesus was calling his disciples, one of the disciples he called was Philip. And he, he convinced Philip, you know, he told him, I saw you under a tree. I saw you doing this. And so Philip goes, oh, you're the son of God. So he runs and he finds this guy named Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel, dude, the guy that Moses wrote about, the one that the prophets had, had foretold, I've met him. His name is Jesus. He's the Nazarene. And look what Philip says, not making this up. John 1, Nazareth... Can anything good come from there? Philip's like, uh, well, come and see. And so Nathaniel did. And, and he comes to Jesus and, 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 you know, he's kind of skeptical. And, and Jesus said, yeah, I saw you talking to Philip and I saw this and I saw this. And he goes, you really are the son of God. And, and Jesus, I think with a smirk on his face, he says, he goes, you believe because of that? You've not seen anything yet. Nathaniel came to believe that Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah, because something happened and he saw several things happen and people wrote it down because it was the greatest thing that ever happened. Jesus really was born. He really did live a sinless life. He really was crucified. He really was raised from the dead. It was written down and people gave their lives to make sure that you and I had a copy of what happened. There are more copies of the Bible than any other ancient document in history because it's real. Something happened and it was written down. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And if you're a mom, you get this next verse. Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Because something happened. 
The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 33 years later, Mary watches this child. He's grown up. He's 33 years old. She watches him be crucified. She, she saw him laid in a tomb, dead. She went to the tomb, saw it empty, and she saw Jesus Christ alive, and he became her personal savior. Mary wasn't sinless. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. She needed a savior just like you and I do. That day he became her personal savior. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did their best to write all of this stuff down because it was real. Not because someone was paying them, but because they saw something that was unbelievable and they said, we got to document this stuff. The light of the world, the light of all mankind, the savior of the world had come and he didn't want us to miss it. Now, John was the last of the eyewitnesses alive and he's obsessed with you knowing why Jesus came, the why of Christmas. And here's how he summarizes it in the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave. The greatest Christmas gift was God giving Jesus. It's why we give gifts because God was the first giver. And every time you give, you are like God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in. There's that phrase again. It's the exact same phrase that he, that he shared earlier. He said, it's not enough to believe that Jesus was the son of God. You must believe in, you must demonstrate. Even the demons believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and they will not be in heaven. We need to be like the wise men. Last week when the wise men found him, they came into the house where the child was, says they bowed down and worshiped him and they gave him gifts. They did whatever they needed to do to demonstrate physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, economically, that they were in the presence of one who was greater than them. That's what it means to believe in, not say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus was born. Believing that is not enough. You must believe in. You must do something to demonstrate that you believe it. And if you do that, you believe in him, you shall not perish but have eternal life. Almost everybody who's been in church any amount of time has memorized that verse. Let me read you the verse that no one's memorized, and it's verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the Christmas story. That's why he came. The light had to come because we were in darkness and we didn't know. Now we do. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Far too many of us live like um, we're still in darkness. Attitudes. The way we talk. The way we treat people. The book out called Christian Atheist. I think too many of us live like an atheist. Oh yeah, I believe that Jesus is Lord, but I don't believe in him because he's not changed my life. That's got to stop. I want to have confidence. The Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. He says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. This is the same John. He said, these things I've written to you, believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's possible to know. If you don't know, I'd figure it out real fast. 
Father, I pray that, that if someone doesn't know you, that they will, you will trouble their hearts until they give their life to you. If someone is far from you, God, I pray that they would run back to you this Christmas. That you would do something. You said that, that we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, reminds us of everything that Jesus has said. Convict us, God, so that we can, we can be a shining light. We can reflect your light to a lost and dying world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.